welcome to Shrink Wrap, a podcast where Fran and Becky give proper respect to various mental health and wellness topics while adding in a little bit of smart assery that they just can't seem to contain. This podcast cannot and does not constitute therapy advice. However, we do hope that you find the information we share with you helpful and entertaining. Please be advised that this podcast discusses topics that can be sensitive to some listeners. Use appropriate discretion. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shrink Wrap. Welcome. We're super excited because once again, we have a fabulous guest speaker today. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We have to say what we're talking about. Or oh, okay. Sense. So I'll introduce first. Okay. okay. So exciting news. We have Dr. Brianne Anderson Mueller on our show today, and we're going to be talking about breast health. And some of you might be like, what does that have to do with mental health? Oh, we'll tell you a lot. So we're kind of excited. We absolutely are. We're going to start with the factoid. There are health disparities in young African-American women under the age of 35. Their rates of breast cancer are two times higher than that of Caucasian women under age 35. And they die from breast cancer three times as often as Caucasian women. So that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Drop some knowledge on us, Brianne. <laughs> yes. Drop some knowledge. We want to learn. Um, well, so first I'll introduce myself. So I, I like they said, Brianne Mueller, and I am married to Brody Mueller. This one, Fun this fact. Brody Mueller. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's married to the sexy voice with the sexy yeah. hair. Yeah. And the beard. And the yeah. awesome beard. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're, we met in college and... Um, we've been together a long time and we have three kids and we've been in Aberdeen since 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for Sanford health and yeah, we're just kind of living our, our best life. <laughs> and you help women with their lady bits. I do. Yes. yes. I do. I know some stuff. I know some stuff. So talking- no, she only knows lady bits. <laughs> she only if knows I have an bits. ear infection and she's like, fuck out. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what, what, what's an ear? I don't know what that is. I, are we you, I'm sorry. Do you have a vagina? Then <laughs> yeah. I can't help you is what she says. Actually, Just, what it is, is he has a little sniffle and he's like, oh, I think I can go to work that's today. That's actually I 10 out of 10 accurate. I don't ever felt this way before, <laughs> but I'm stuffy and tired. <laughs> or, or my kids will be like, my arm hurts when I do this. And then I'm like, don't do that. And I walk away. <laughs> and they're we like, have a mom, mom who's a doctor. This yeah. sucks. <laughs> Um, but no, so yeah, I know some stuff. I know some stuff about breast cancer, so I'm happy to talk about it. So, um, the statistic you always hear about breast cancer is that one in eight women will get diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime, which is about 13%. Um, so in 2021, uh, we expect that 281,000 new women, new breast cancer diagnoses will happen in women in the United States. That's um, and really of scary. note, yeah, it is. I mean, and of note, um, in 2021, we also expect that 2,650 new um, can- breast cancer diagnoses will happen in men. Oh, so men do have breast cancer. Um, they have a less instead of a one in eight chance, they have a one in eight hundred right. and thirty three chance. But it happens still. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in Harrisburg, South Dakota last night for volleyball, mm-hmm. and it was their Dig Pink Night um, for Breast Cancer Awareness, and they had raised it's like a thousand dollars through T-shirt sales mm-hmm. that they give to a local family, and it went to a family where the dad is um, dealing. They didn't come out and say the dad had breast cancer, but I just assumed because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he was the one with the cancer and that's what they Absolutely. were doing. And I think, I mean, just much, much like your factoid, um, men do die uh, at a higher rate after getting diagnosed because they tend to be diagnosed later. Sure. Um, because they, um, I mean, who wants to go get a mammogram or talk about that? I mean, men and women are born with breast tissue. And so there's yeah. there's still a chance there. And talk about a mental health topic. Oh, yeah. I've had several clients over the years that were male that had breast cancer and talk about the stigma mm. associated with that. You know, they they really struggle with that diagnosis and verbalizing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, that's really unfortunate. Do we have painful. to call it pectoral cancer? Would that be better? <laughs> Probably not accurate, but... It's just, front of chest cancer. Yeah. We just know. get upset when we hear the word breast. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe chest cancer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I chest but cancer. yeah. Um, so 43,000 women in the United States are expected to die this year of breast cancer. And for women in the United States, that's the highest death rate in the United States from any cancer, except for lung cancer. Wow. So out of all the people who have cancer in the United States, it's the second leading cause of death. 
Um, so globally, what's interesting is as of 2021, so recently it's developed that breast cancer is the most common cancer diagnosed globally. So that's from the WHO. Apparently it's. That's interesting. Do you mm-hmm. think it's because we're doing more about detection and okay. I absolutely do. Yeah. Diagnosed. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. And so that's, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, it also is the most commonly diagnosed cancer or breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer among women in the U S so 30% of newly diagnosed cancers total will be breast cancer. So kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely out there. Do you have any theories as to why, because it seems like it's gone up over the years or are mm-hmm. we just detecting it better? What is your philosophy? I think you're absolutely correct. I think that, and that statistically has proven is that we're screening women more. So in the, since the sixties and fifties, we have been screening people as a, in a routine manner and that has detected way more breast cancers for sure. Um, and as of, at, and you can look at graphs of the stage at which they were di- detected or the stage oh. at which they were diagnosed and the stage at which women are di- being diagnosed is, um, is lower and lower as years go on because we're detecting it sooner because of mass um, widespread screening recommendations. Mm. That's awesome. Actually. I mean, very right. Cause my assumption is the sooner you catch it, the more, Absolutely. the better I mean, chance you have. And I'll, I'll get into this in a minute too, okay. but like statistics are a tricky beast. They're mm-hmm. a tricky beast. And I think that we're seeing that more in 2020 and 2021 than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can twist them in however you want. And you could say, yes, there's all kinds of toxins in the air and free radicals and sugar. And so all these people are getting breast cancer. Look at all these diagnoses that are going up. Whereas I would say, um, and I think my medical colleagues would agree with me that it's more screening. So then we're going to detect it more, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing. Um, so talking about risks, uh, of getting breast cancer. Um, so your risk of getting breast cancer doubles when you have a first degree relative that has been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and I'm kind of going to harp on this a little bit, uh, but less than 15% of all women who get breast cancer have a family history. Ooh. Mm. So it, you can't be, what you're saying is don't be lulled into this false sense of security. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of the women who, uh, who get breast cancer, only five to 10% of them have a genetic mutation that they inherited from their family. It's just a different way to say the same thing, but, um, is that the BRCA gene that yeah, everybody right. talks about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple different genetic pre, pre or genetic mutations that yeah. will predispose you to having a higher risk. Okay, so I did the BRCA gene testing. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Okay, I did that a few years ago. I have a second degree family history mm-hmm. of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so my doctor was like, "You want to do it?" And I'm like, "Let's do it." Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember what it said, but the number sixteen sticks in. So it was like. 16% higher than average, mm-hmm. maybe? It Absolutely. wasn't, nothing to worry about is basically what I yeah. took away from it. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, there's two ways you can get cancer, right? One way is inheriting it. So you have, you know, your mom or your dad gave you the gene that makes you predisposed to it. The other way is from exposure, okay. from age or just chance kind sure. of growing up. So, I mean, yeah, 85% of breast cancers occur in women who have no family history. Mm. Wow. Um, which is kind of, I mean kind of good in a way because mm-hmm. that kind of gives everybody a sense of uh importance for screening and also like oh, yeah. kind of decreasing risk factors kind of mm-hmm. okay so i just talked about the the statistics thing so i wanted to do this because it just makes me so happy <laughs> <laughs> so I, just, I wish you guys <laughs> listeners i wish you could see her <laughs> smile it's amazing so <laughs> Oh, I just had to tell you, Fran, that statistics was my least favorite class in college. Oh, because statistics mm. suck. But, but also, like, now they give me, like a, <laughs> they give me, like, a sixth sense of pleasure because right. uh, the knowledge involved in, in understanding them is just amazing and powerful. Okay, you want to hear my amazing tell statistics? Okay, me. you got to know this. She's making okay. it up, though. What's no, the source? I, okay, remember on S- <laughs> Okay, shh. <laughs> Brandknowsall.com. Anyway, okay, remember on SNL, they would have like two beautiful movie stars and then they would have a baby and they show the picture of the baby and it was like really scary, ugly, like a Halloween baby. Okay, that is a statistical principle according to Fran, which is regression toward the mean. When you have two extremes on the continuum, right, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the outliers, they have a baby. Like if you have two mm-hmm. math geniuses, mm-hmm. that kid is getting math tutoring because they're going to regress oh. toward the mean. Oh. 
I don't know if that's the way it works, but that's how my brain works. So Jim's really smart with math. I'm really dumb with math. So they owe it to me that they're really smart in math. My well, kids do. I don't know. It's an equal thing that I'm just no, saying. You're you're on, I'm, I'm not sure you're doing. Team. I'm not sure you're doing that math right because if you got two beautiful people, they're on one far end. So if you're, oh, you, you gotta, oh, that's right. It's you got to know what the, the I mean. I don't know if it does though. You got to yeah. know what the mean and the min and max and averages are. Do you, but I don't know if do it we need has to go to back be to statistics. <laughs> yes, but I don't know if it has to be on opposite. So ends for of instance, the I am hideous, but that's I am married to this bombshell. That is so true. And our children are more exceptional than not. I would say, <laughs> yeah. but probably more in the middle of the pretty middle doggone of the adorable. Yeah, I'm just I mean, yeah, what I mean, yeah. the opposite. Right. Okay. Well, I was going by SNL. So what do I know? <laughs> so Fran's but source it, for that statistic was Saturday Night Live for those of you who yeah. don't know what SNL is. <laughs> that being said though, like uh, speaking of like celebrity children, like I do feel super sad for like if you have two model parents, like oh. a model, beautiful, yes. Ryan Reynolds and Blake, you know, like, yes. like these people who are gorgeous, like how can you, how can you live up to that? Right. You know, like your whole life, you're going to be like compared. Are you as beautiful as your mom? Nah. But what if they are like Cindy Crawford's daughters? What Gerber, mm. something Gerber. She's beautiful. Is she? Yeah. And I think a model now. And mm. what so. this has to do with breast cancer. I know, no I know, one will I know, ever know. I know, I know. Okay, okay, people. It's interesting. It is. Okay, Focus. so flipping flipping the statistics. <laughs> I always try to do this for people because it, it is really, it's really scary, you know, to walk around every day thinking, you know, I have this high chance of dying of this, this um, I don't know, super scary thing. So I just read a bunch of like internet facts, right? I mean, they are true. Fran's very good at that. They're, I really am. They're from, it's I mean, they're specialty. from the American Cancer Society. You know, it's, oh, it's legit. No. Facts, it says but... there, savethetitties.com yeah. on, your, on your page though. But so you have, I have a point. It says you have to be 18 or older to enter the site. <laughs> but I have, I mean, I, trust, I have a point in saying this. And, you know, I think that statistics are a little tricky in that either they, are, they can scare you or they can lull you into a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. So what if I said to you, so one in eight women get breast cancer. So that doesn't mean that every that one on any given day, you, me, everybody has a one in eight chance walking around. That's not what that means. Mm-hmm. What it means is that you have the 12 out of 100 women who live to age 80 will get breast cancer at some point in their long life. Mm. So that's reality, a little different than one in yes. eight. It is. It yeah. is. And I'm not saying that to be uh, contrary. I'm saying it. Uh, just to flip the script a little bit. So in reality, 12% of women who live to age 80 develop breast cancer. So that means that you have a 7 and 8 or 88% chance that you'll never get it, mm-hmm. even if you live to age 80. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't screen. No, not at all. No, no not at all. And I'll, I'll get I'll get to that. So how you Stop view- interrupting, Fran. No, not at all. So <laughs> nine- Stop interrupting his wife, Fran. So I think it helps, it helps kind of- both, uh, I don't know, I think it shows you that you can kind of get what you want out of it, but also mm-hmm. um, your risk may be higher, your risk may be lower. And so how do you how do you figure that out? You know, say you would have gone to like never been offered that bracket testing mm-hmm. and then your risk was actually higher. Um, you know, 95% of breast cancer diagnoses are, are less are in people who are older than 40 years old. Age mm-hmm. is a huge risk factor for this. And there's other risk factors um, that that are important to know about, you know, age, family history, ethnicity, just like Fran said when we started, age when you had your first period, age when you had your first kid, did you breastfeed your kids? And so I think that um, if I can make a pitch for people like me, you know, there are people, believe it or not, in this world who went to school for 100 years, not really, went for 10 years to try to help you interpret this data. I mean, if you just read on the internet and be like, either I have an 88% chance of not having anything bad happen to me, or I have the super high risk of, of getting it, whatever. How do you distill those facts and how do you make it meaningful for you in your life? So if you do see those facts, what I'm hearing you say, Brianne, is go talk to your doctor 100%. and say, this is, the, this is the fact I've seen. Mm-hmm. Well, how does that relate to me? Absolutely. Can you explain like what the reproductive history part, like you're talking about risk factors, mm-hmm. like why is it if you get your period before age 12 mm-hmm. or if you go through menopause after 55 that you're more at risk? Ooh, super good question. It's hormones. Okay. Explain that though. So what happens is, um, the more, the more you're exposed to hormones and what they're trying to get at between menarche, which is the first period that you have or menopause, which is the last period you have, or how many children you've had and at what time is how many cycles you've been exposed to estrogen. 
So how many cycles you've been exposed to um, hormones that could or could not make your breast tissue grow. So estrogen or hormones that you have in your body will make your breast tissue grow. And so if you have a malignant cell in there, every time your cells reproduce, every time they do, they, they do their life cycle, there's a chance it could make a mistake. And that mistake could lead to cancer. So are we saying um, with every menstrual cycle, there's the potential? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how does the, I'm sorry, I'm probably going way off script here. How, how does the birth control pill then or other hormonal treatments factor so in? So birth control actually decreases your circulating hormones. So okay. a little bit off topic, but not really, is birth control pills, actually for every five years you're on birth control pills, it decreases your ovarian cancer risk oh. mm. um, by... 80%? We're just guesstimating. You yeah. can't remember every statistic. Yeah. Brain. Yeah. But it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's even considered chemotherapeutic or treat Whoa. for people who are at high risk for ovarian cancer. Like say you had that BRCA gene yeah. and you knew that you had a super high risk of ovarian cancer. And again, we're getting a little off topic, but it's even been prescribed as a way to decrease your risk enough to get through your childbearing years until you can get them removed. Oh, yeah. So little, I mean, same with people with acne, like um, sometimes you hear people going on birth control pills or whatever to decrease their acne. The reason it works is because it takes your circulating hormones and kind of calms them down a little bit. See, and I always wondered about that, like with birth control, where women are not getting their periods at all. Mm -hmm. I always thought that's got to be bad because your body's hanging on to like all this waste. Where does it go? But you're saying, no, it's not bad. I hear that. Yeah. No, you're not weird. And I think that it's a total totally prevalent thing that people think yeah brody has been hanging on to all kinds of toxins <laughs> i'm just kidding no brody and his ladies today. <laughs> the birth controls that make you not have your period it be, it means your circulating hormones are so low you don't have anything to bleed mm. you, it's not like you're holding on to that or like not shedding things you need to shed or whatever it's that you don't have it in the first place so it just doesn't happen like it mm. doesn't well and here's how it was explained to me so i i cannot wait to hear your take on this <laughs> Back in the day, it was explained to me that actually we're not made to have periods all the time. We're made to be pregnant more Absolutely. often than not. But in this day and age, nobody wants to pop out a kid every 14 months. Okay. And what cave did you learn that lesson? <laughs> I, don't, I, I kid you not. I read that somewhere. And that's really? why it's okay to be on the pill mm. because basically you're tricking your body into thinking it's pregnant. I mean, kind mm-hmm. of. Okay. Kind yeah. Of. See? So how I was explained to it or someone explained to me like, so the idea that you have to be like flushed out or cleansed or in some way, uh, I don't know, uh, you need to have a period every month was invented by men in the 40s and 50s. You know what I mean? Shocker. It kind uh, of, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the humors, you know, and we need to bleed people to get rid of their like And leeches, right? Yes. It's not our fault. You all had hysteria at that time. Uh, so, uh, you know, we had to do something. You know, you have a lot of balls right now. <laughs> Just how I like them, but I'm gonna I'm not pulling my punches. Um, so I think that anyway. but you're absolutely right. I mean, evolutionarily, we had kids and we had kids and we had kids until we died in childbirth. We lived to the ripe old age of childbirth. <laughs> until we died in childbirth. That's totally true. Um, you oh know, my like goodness. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even say this, but uh, you know, people are like childbirth is so natural and we should be able to do it by our own and in the woods and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then the mortality rate was 40%. (laughs) You're totally right. It was, you know, that what was natural was that we, you know, literally had kids and kids and kids until. Yeah. Until we died. And and no one lived happily ever after. (laughs) I mean, uh, birth control was life-saving for people in the. In many ways. In many ways. It got women out of poverty. Mm -hmm. It got women the opportunity to have other dreams, other than taking care of kids and being pregnant. So anyway, that's a personal bent of mine. Mm-hmm. So we talked about risk factors, you know, and things we can. So I guess the natural segue is what do we do to decrease our risk mm-hmm. of getting this because it is significant. And, you know, there are risks. Um, you know, there's some studies that you can read that said that a third of postmenopausal breast cancer are related to modifiable risk factors. So you can flip that and say 66% of them aren't, but it's still a third percent or 33%. So obesity, physical activity, alcohol consumption, tobacco use, all of that has been linked to slightly increased risk. Um, So anyway. And it also reproductive history, like having the first pregnancy after age 30 and not breastfeeding can raise the risk. And I guess 
I think more and more women are having babies at later ages now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think physically we're made to have babies when we are aged 15 to 25, Mm -hmm. but emotionally, economically, everything else is not that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose for some people it absolutely is right for them, but you're totally right. Okay. So if there's somebody listening who is now maybe feeling bad about themselves because they didn't breastfeed, Mm -hmm. can you talk about that or just address that if you will? Or they, this is the phrase I hate. They tried Mm -hmm. and failed. Yeah, that's that just worst. hurts my heart that's more than anything. I mean, you guys would know more of the mental health side of that, but that I take a very pro mental health stance about epidurals, about birth, about C-section, about breastfeeding. I mean, there are a lot of other ways that you can be a good mom. Like you do not need to kill yourself trying to breastfeed your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, there are generations of kids who had a formula and they turned out, I mean, amazing. I'd like to say mm-hmm. for myself, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> my mom didn't breastfeed us. And I like to tell people I turned out great. My brother, eh, but just she breastfed a little with him. <laughs> no, I'm saying like you, you yeah. absolutely have to do what's right for you. And if you are killing yourself or it's not working or you're mentally can like, let it go. Yeah. Let it absolutely go. And you know, I, I've known women that just don't produce milk. Right. Yeah. Fine. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's a hundred million reasons to feel bad about yourself as a mom. There's no reason to feel bad about yourself for not breastfeeding or right. not, not whatever, delivering your kids under the full moon in the woods or whatever. With so, no pain, pain. Really right, right. With whatsoever. no pain. I yeah. had somebody literally say this to me. So Allison was an emergency C-section. She's our oldest. Mm. And uh, somebody said to me, well, I hope your next one can be born naturally oh, heavens. so that you can experience natural childbirth. And I said, well, naturally would have killed both of us. <laughs> So I'm a little grateful for the unnatural C-section I had. Absolutely. Let's let's look at that. I mean, hundred years ago, what would have happened to you? Are we birth shaming? Like, I know. Whoa, what the hell? I think that does happen, and I, I'm yeah, happy I to report that it. I feel like it happens less now than ten years ago or twenty yeah. years ago. But I absolutely think that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often? I don't know. That's like one of the first things that people ask me, like when they meet me and they find out what I do, um, they want, they, they, the birth stories come out, you yeah. know what I mean? And, um, that's fun at parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, oh, I bet it is. Brody, Brody's always over there. Like, uh. <laughs> I know a lot of things. <laughs> I bet you do. Um, um, so then also screening. Screening saves lives. So what does screening look like? So I would say, you know, for everyone of all ages, um, there's this, it used to be controversial. I don't think it's controversial anymore. Self-breast exam versus breast awareness. So mm-hmm. it used to be that you, it was recommended that you at a certain time of the month did a self-breast exam on yourself. And I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, but I'm saying that the statistics haven't shown that that helps. Oh, oh that's really? good. Because I always forgot to do it. Yeah. So. I think for that you reason. You did it though, didn't you? No, I didn't. Oh, did I have it? no okay. boobs. Why would I, why would I even think to do it? <laughs> They can still try to kill you, Fran. (laughs) I know it. Um, So the new, it's not really new. It's in the last, I'd say 10 to 20 years, we've been moving more towards breast awareness. So the American Cancer Society, the US US Preventative um, Task Force, USPS, um, and then the ACOG, so American College of Sexual Gynecology, all recommend breast awareness over self-breast exam. And so there's no certain method or schedule to this. What it is, is knowing what is normal for you and knowing what is nor- not normal for you. So looking for specific things like lumps, n- nipple discharge, swelling, change in size or shape, skin irritation, swollen lymph nodes in your armpit, pain or redness of the nipples, anything that like is off for mm-hmm. you, I would say that catches more things than anything. And at what age should girls, girls or mm-hmm. young women really be increasing their awareness or start noticing or whatever? I mean, practice makes perfect. So, I mean, mm-hmm. their whole life, ideally, mm-hmm. I think that's that's for your whole body. I mean, like, I think knowing yourself and what you look like, I, it used to be that you didn't even look down, down there, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You know, I meet people... Um, bless their hearts every day who are in, you know, advanced age and they'll have a problem and they don't even know like what area of their body down, you know, in their vulvar, anal, urethral area, the, that they're having a problem because they won't look down there. They won't feel down there. They, I mean, that's terrifying to Mm -hmm. me. You know, it's your body. Right. Who's going to know it, but you. Yeah. So I think normalizing that awareness of yourself and what you look like and what you are. And, um, I think that can start at as a, at a young age. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. You're not bad. You're not dirty. There's parts. Right. Um, and then that gets to actual screening. So screening through mammography, 
um, the recommendation through most societies is starting at age 40 mm-hmm. and yearly. And I want to, uh, my uh, mammograms take place at Avera. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a shout out to those ladies because um, they do a fine job. Mm-hmm. They are just a wonderful, wonderful group of humans. Mm-hmm. And it is easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I get mine done at Sanford and they also do a wonderful job. But I can tell you when you don't have boobs, I might as well just lie my entire body between those two plates. <laughs> it's a little more painful. It is here. ridiculous. Yeah. I'm on my tiptoes. I mean, there's no good way to make that yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. But they still make it as pleasant as possible. Right. I, I do have to say. Nope. They just plop mine up there and squish the hell out of it. Oh, Here we go. It feels like they're yeah trying to kind of squeeze them off your body a little bit. But, yeah. but I was surprised. So I've had a couple in my lifetime, and I I was <laughs> surprised at at how um, unpleasant it is not. So, right. You know, like I I'm obviously a gynecologist. Like I do Pap smears and breast exams for a living, so I'm very familiar with discomfort. And they do a great job. Mm-hmm. They Compared really do. Compared to a pelvic exam or a Pap smear, I think they do a great job. I think they're just a special breed of workers mm-hmm. that go into that and mm-hmm. make you do their best to make you feel comfortable because they know it's an uncomfortable mm-hmm. situation. Um, but I will say, like you know, screening. Ever since we've been highly recommending mammography after age forty, um, the the diagnoses have include have increased. So the women amount of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer have increased. However, the stage at which they have been diagnosed has been lower, and that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So even if you are low risk, even if you don't have a family history, I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, there's a secret to this. There's a secret tip here, and the secret tip is if you get a screening test. Before you even feel a lump, before you even have anything, you can detect it earlier and therefore you have more treatment options. Mm-hmm. You have a higher survival rate and you have like less treatment to be your option, meaning you could maybe get like a lumpectomy versus a mastectomy, or you could potentially get just surgery and not chemo. You know, like the fact that you, the survival rates, like it's very, very clear. If you're diagnosed as a stage one or a first stage breast cancer, your five rate, five year survival rate is 98%. Wow. Whereas if it's spread to one lymph node, just mm-hmm. one, your de- your chances are 84%. Still okay. If it's spread anywhere else in your body, your survival, your five-year survival goes down to 25%. Oh, damn. That's horrible. Yeah. Super bad. Wow. And I do know a lot of people who really do operate under the ignorance is bliss mm-hmm. category where they're like, you know what? I'm fine. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm 48. I don't, I don't need, feel anything. Yeah. I don't need to go in for a mammogram. Mm-hmm. There's no family history. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine. And to what I would say is just go. It it takes literally seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And based on those statistics, mm-hmm. literally is life and death. That's really absolutely. scary. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's covered by your insurance, I bet. Um, and even if you don't have insurance, there's many, many, many programs that will help. All Women Count is one of them that will help you get to that get that seat because they, they it's in their best interest. They mean in insurance companies, healthcare companies, whatever yes. mm-hmm. for you to get diagnosed early because they don't want to pay for your chemo or whatever, nor do we all want you to go through that. Right. right. So um, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what I got as far as the science stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about your personal history with it or do you not want to yeah, go there? I can do that. Um, so I kind of along those same lines. So, um, so my, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. So she would have been like for early forties. And, um, you know, her story is really common. You know, she had a kid who was going to graduate from high school. My brother was 15 or 16. I can't remember. He had all this like, league soccer stuff. We were just busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was kind of at the tail end of a, of a divorce kind of. And so just kind of busy. Um, and she found something. I don't know what it was, but she found something that was off. And so, you know, you put it off a couple of months. You put it off a couple of months mm-hmm. more. She ended up going to Avera and Sioux Falls. And they recommended that she do a mammogram. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll get to it. Did it a couple months later. Did it a couple months later. You know, like it just kind of things got pushed down the road. So she had a suspicious mammogram. And then the the recommendation for us for a biopsy. And again, she was like, okay, I'll do it when I can do it. You know, we lived in Mitchell. So it was an hour drive to Sioux Falls or whatever. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of time. Came back that it was cancer. So she got um, a double mastectomy and reconstruction. She went through all the chemo for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I was a senior in high school. And then when I was a freshman in college, she had bone metastasis. So, oh. And maybe explain to our listeners what that might be. So if you she, can. yeah. So she had, the cancer had spread to her spine okay. and so her vertebrae kind of collapsed. And so she was having some back pain and, um, she ended up passing away when I was a sophomore in college. Mm. So I was 20 years old. 
Um, and so it's kind of an odd scenario. She wasn't tested for a genetic problem. She had no mm-hmm. family history whatsoever and she was just busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, which I think so many people can relate to. Absolutely. She wasn't, she wasn't negligent. Mm-mm. Like she still went and did her exams. She still did everything, but she wasn't due. Like she wasn't in the, the age group where you were supposed to get mammograms every year. And maybe she right. let it slip one year or something. Um, so I guess out of that, I would say, you know, if you make an appointment, you know, a lot of times, no, you don't have a lot going on at your annual exam, mm-hmm. but it's an, it's a time where you can sit down and pay attention and take sack, you know, okay, is there things that I've put off? Is there things that I need to get, you know, ticked off my list? And it's just an opportunity to kind of, you know, do that. We've talked about mastectomy a couple of times. Um, would you explain to our listeners what that refers to? Yeah. So what they do is they remove all the breast tissue. Okay. So sometimes they can do nipple sparing, which is kind of nice. And sometimes they can't, um, which I'm guessing is just what it sounds like mm-hmm. you get your nipples back. Yep. Um, but if they do a mastectomy, like you won't be able to feel them okay? because they remove all the nerves and stuff underneath, but, um, so more of an aesthetic. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the skin is still there, but it's, yeah. All the tissue underneath is gone. Yep. So they do okay. careful, like they take from your fascia, which is the strong, strong tissue layer that kind of uh, is on top of your muscle. Mm-hmm. So they take everything from your fascia to the skin, which okay. is like all the fat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like breast tissue is, is a lot of fat, if you think about it. Um, and that's why mammography works so good mm-hmm. is because it can see through the fat. Um, that's why we don't do mammograms on people less than 40 if we can help it mm-hmm. because their boobs are not fatty enough. Mm-hmm. So it like doesn't, uh, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, and, and because of my mom, I kind of, Brody and I kind of always knew that we always knew that we had some choices to make and a uh, huge proponent to the Edith Sanford breast cancer center in Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. So we ended up going down there and believe it or not, you know, we don't, we know all these statistics, but to have someone sit down and talk to us and be like, okay, this, this is your risk. These are, they can run a, like, I think a 30 gene panel on people now. Wow. So not just BRCA, but mm-hmm. all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And they're all the genes we know of past, present and future for the ones that cause or are associated with breast cancer. They can give you your risk based on your genes, but also all of those risk factors that I listed off, mm-hmm. they go into a calculator wow. and then they can tell you, Brian, based on your family history and everything that when you had your first period, when you had your first kid, um, and it ended up being that I had a 33 or 35% mm-hmm. lifetime risk of having cancer. Mm. Um, and so then you have choices to make, you know, and choices, knowledge is power. When you have choices, like everything just becomes a lot better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had the choice mm-hmm. of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Playing the choice. odds. Playing the odds. Yep. I mean, um, or we could do chemotherapy, like preventative chemotherapy. I didn't even know there was preventative chemotherapy. I've heard of it. I yeah. So it's not chemotherapy like lose your hair, throw up chemotherapy. It's like a just a generic term for preventative medicine. So they would have prevent they would have prescribed me medicine called tamoxifen, Mm -hmm. which decreases my circulating estrogen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Or uh, and mammograms alternating with MRIs every six months, Mm -hmm. um, or mastectomy, preventative mastectomy. Mm -hmm. So. We ended up uh, understanding, coming to grips with my uh, poor compliance <laughs> and the odds, that I would, the odds that I would follow through with imaging every six months is very low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we made choices according to that and ended up getting surgery and being done with it. Mm-hmm. So I actually don't need mammograms anymore. Sweet. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I want to just veer off a little bit, Brody. What was it like for you as a partner? To sit there with the woman you love and and hear those statistics. It was so because her we didn't have any genetic material from her mom, right? So they mm-hmm. weren't able to test her. So uh, the the family gene part was still a bit of a black box for us. You should do the impression. You yeah. have to. So we go to this guy and he's a geneticist. Like he's not trained in, he works for the breast cancer center. Maybe, or I think he's maybe just a geneticist in general, but um, so we get, we get the test and he goes, okay, you are back a negative. Your mother, she died. That's very sad. But maybe, 
maybe you get breast cancer, maybe you don't. It's like 30% chance. You know, your first degree, if she, she died, I'm sorry, that's so sad, but it's, yeah, he's uh, like, he was, like I, think, Russian I think he was Russian or, yeah. Oh my God. And he was, he was the best. Uh, he was the best. Yeah. So it was kind of just cut and dry. Like, yeah, here's what yeah. it is. Matter it's, it's the 30, facts. 30%. So, wow. and the decision for me was way, or what, what I would have done was way easier for me not being under the knife. You know, mm-hmm. her whole thing is like, I do surgery for a living. I see how long and painful a recovery can be. And it, and it was a long, painful recovery to me, those three or six weeks that that was is way better than the 30% chance of ticking time bombs Mm -hmm. on your body. Right. Right. So for me, it was a, like, I, I, I was playing the numbers. Like there's, I'll I'll take, I'll take a 3% chance all day long over, over Mm -hmm. 30. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's get real with the shrinks for a second. (laughs) Um, so yeah. Right. Because there are, some men, and I think I'm hoping to God they're they're few and far between. Some partners who would say, mm, "But the titties are gone." But they're not. That's what reconstruction is. Okay. So reconstruction is, and I got, and we can we can edit any of this out. But like, you, <laughs> yeah. you stop me. But yeah. <clears throat> so it. I mean, she she had the. So it's a double mastectomy with reconstruction. So that's that's implants, right? So you do the hard part first, which is to take out all the breast tissue. But then right. you can kind of do the fun part and figure out how where where have you always wanted yeah. to be? Right? Talk about kids in a candy store. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, both of you, because yeah, it's it's part of your I'd identity. Be, as I'd a be woman. lying if we said we didn't sit in bed one night and just kind of surf boobs on Reddit and yeah. just like, what about those ones or what about yeah. those? You know, and because. Hell, After I having mean, kids, it's not the same. We had kind of a little pancake situation going on, right? You know? yep. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it pluses and minuses, yeah, um, for sure. And like I said, I mean, you take out all the breast tissue and all the nerve tissue goes with it, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate, but also mm-hmm. life saving, yeah. right? So, cosmetically, they can do amazing things. I yeah. mean, shout uh, out, amazing. I, I was going to say, I've heard there's really good nipple tattoo artists. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, what I remember about when my mom did it 20 years ago is that, and it will be 20 years next next year. Um, is that it hurt? Like, uh, she had the subpectoral implant. So what mm. they do is they literally put a spacer or a space occupying something underneath your pectoral muscles and they stretch it and they stretch it and stretch it. So you come by, I can't remember so how between, frequently. Your, between your muscles and your rib cage. Oh, Correct. that sounds painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they stretch it out. Um, and it, it, I remember she just walked around and she was just in pain uh. and because those muscles don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm sure in 2021, it is a lot different than 2002. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but that's what I remembered. And that's what I did at want. And kudos to Heather Carew, Dr. Carew, who's a plastic surgeon, who's amazing in Sioux Falls. And um, Dr. Dirksen, who is my breast surgeon. Um, and the, the options that you have, I'd like to preach again for my profession, that you have options. And mm-hmm. not all of them are readily accessible and understandable on the internet. Right. Um, and so when you go there, she can be like, here's pictures of what I've done. And it looks mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. you know, these are your options. You can do this type of implant. You can do this type of implant. This is what can you can expect to, to have happen. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that it was way less. I mean, I didn't have to do spacers or anything like that. They did yes. on top of the muscle implants, which was awesome. <laughs> Dr. Carew kind of laughed at her. She goes, mm-hmm. oh my God, what year is it? No, we don't, <laughs> we don't do that. Anymore. Now that being said, that being said, yeah. and there are doctors in town, right? I mean, there are People, surgeons, I say pick a surgeon that's, that's doing work that you like. You mm-hmm. know, if you if the pictures were good, look good, or if they have good work that is good and they mm-hmm. have a good reference, is great. Um, but also, what works for you and your body. You know, right. like I have friends who have had subpectoral implants and it looks great and it worked good for their body. And they they're glad they did it. And I'm they're sure. glad. To, yeah. yeah, I happen to pick a surgeon who is incredibly comfortable and specialized in this particular thing that I got done. But yeah. um, you know, you always want your doctor doing what they are most comfortable doing. Right. And um, ask all the questions. Absolutely. Ask all the questions. Some women are nervous about implants because they're made of foreign material, mm-hmm. putting foreign material in their body. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide what kind of implant? And is there any statistics or information about what's the safest kind? Like, are you trading one cancer for another now? Or That's kind of a funny story. That um, is a funny story. It's funny that you should ask that. Um, so the f- initial implant that I got actually got recalled. Uh, because it was associated with um, a type of leukemia. But that being said, the type of leukemia that it was associated with, I had a one in 30,000 chance, Mm -hmm. like literally. So those, them odds are still good, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Um, but you know, you, they'll, they'll give you, your plastic surgeon will give you your odds of having a complication. And then you, you know, and that you never have a 0%, something's going to kill you, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. something is going to kill you and walking down your street, the street, driving in your car here, all that has risks. Right. Um, and you just have to be comfortable with the risk you're taking. Like say your implant has a one in whatever chance of having complications, you know, you just go into it with eyes wide open and make your choice. Mm-hmm. I tell people to, uh, before their appointment comes, either either me or their medical provider, um, make a list of questions. Mm-hmm. Like take weeks mm-hmm. if you can. And anything that comes to mind, just write it down or put it into your notes function mm-hmm. um, on your phone. So that way when you get there, you can get the most information because Google can provide a lot of information. I pay a lot in insurance and doctors charge a lot. So I want you to earn your money. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you and I'm going to make you do the heavy lifting when it comes to knowledge. Absolutely. And I would always have somebody ask me in the moment because I can be like, absolutely. Here's it. Here's this and this and this and this and this to think about. It's much worse when they send a message later and be like, actually, JK, I have this huge other thing that I forgot to ask. That's almost another visit. Right. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't type that out. I can't answer that adequately in a little my chart message, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I totally support that. And odds are like, we, we get that question all the time. Like you think that you're asking me, you know, something crazy. And it's like, no, absolutely. We do this every day, all day long, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Uh, yeah. So. And one of the reasons I love um, October although I think it should, there should be acknowledgement of it all year round, not just October, but at least we have a month for it, is I had a coworker at Northern many years ago, and her sister had breast cancer in the 70s and survived it. Mm-hmm. However, what she remembers from that is when they would go visit and the doctor would come into the hospital room, he couldn't look her in the face. He just kept looking at her chest. To talk about her breasts. What? He was so uncomfortable. So Mm. that's why, like, we're going to talk about tatas and we're going to talk about second base and we're going to save the titties and whatever else we need to say Mm -hmm. to normalize it, that Mm -hmm. this is just a body part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for any type of cancer, I mean, how many people, I mean, should there be such a thing as an embarrassing cancer? No. I mean, it's not like it's not, it shouldn't be related to morals or mores or so. I mean, or anything. Yeah. By the way, my favorite shirt. And if you want to get this, Brianna, I can try and find (laughs) it for you, but it says my real ones tried to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw a lady wearing it and I just burst out laughing. And I said, that is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And she's like, it's my favorite shirt. Cause Mm -hmm. it's true. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, if I had a take home message from kind of everything that we've been through and we've made some hard choices and everybody has their own, their own journey, you know, and everybody has their own risk factors and everybody has their own, their own story. Um, and that's in at odds with, or not always jives with the statistics that apply to the world or to the state or to the nation. Um, and so it's confusing. It's really confusing. And I just really would like to, to ram home the point that Mm -hmm. there are people that will help you, you know? And I think that in, in 2021, there's been a lot of discussion in a lot of different ways. And, um, I would like to say like, we spent 10 years going to school for this, to understand it, to get our arms around it and to help you understand it and make the best choice for you. Right. And also, I mean, just because the more I do this job, I've been doing this job for 10 years now. Um, the more I do this job, I tell people every day, just because it isn't probable doesn't mean it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. And so advocate for yourself. If you're 24, but something isn't right. And everybody is like, ah, you got like a less than 1% chance of it being problem. It's fine. Then that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, self-advocacy, but combined with screening saves lives. Right. And I also think if you have a doctor that is like, I don't know why you're worried. You shouldn't be worried about this. Mm-hmm. Go get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Just second opinions are never wrong. No, never. And I always tell people, if you have a doctor who gets really pissy because you're going to go get a second opinion, you probably need a new doctor. Because most of the doctors I know would be like, yes, please, Mm -hmm. just in case. Why not? And I find like I've had so many cancer clients over the years. Mm -hmm. Just when you get that diagnosis, that big C diagnosis, whatever kind it is, it's almost like, right, your reasoning shuts down for a period of time. You're too terrified to ask the questions or to even think about what should the questions be. Absolutely. And I've had so many clients just wrestle with, you know, do I get a lumpectomy? Do I get a mastectomy? What questions do I ask? What can I ask? What if that sounds dumb? And just helping them 
wrap their arms around the diagnosis and understand that, hey, you're still a person. You're not just your cancer. Right. And let's work on this together. Let's figure out together what are the questions you can be asking. Absolutely. It's a team. I mean, yeah. it can be a team. It can be you. And it was Brody and I together. Plus, I talked to my dad. You know, my dad was around during that time. I talked to my friends and my relatives. I talked to my surgical team. I talked to my colleagues. You know, mm-hmm. we are not we are not alone and nor should you be. Right. And so let's say one of our listeners does unfortunately get this diagnosis or someone they know or love gets this diagnosis. Do they have to decide everything at that appointment where they get the diagnosis or is it okay to say, Hey, I need time to wrap my head around this. No. And I don't, I don't, I don't really give people breast cancer diagnosis very often. I'm Mm -hmm. usually more like cervical uterine ovarian, Mm -hmm. but I mean, that comes in stages. I always break that conversation into a couple stages. The first, the first stage is let's talk about what's going on. The second stage is when you're ready, you can always call or text and then we'll meet up again at this date, you Mm -hmm. know, and when you have your head around things and then we can kind of make some, some, get some more information and go forward. Um, And I try to give people as much forewarning of this is what I think is going to happen. You Mm -hmm. know, this is the steps, the next steps. Mm -hmm. And this is what you do when you have questions. This is where good resources to go to. And, um, and you know, no, it doesn't have to happen overnight. This diagnosis didn't, I mean, you didn't get cancer overnight. Nothing's going to change in the next two weeks. You can have some time or to get your feet underneath you. Right. And then um, I'd like to do a plug for the Race Against Breast Cancer, which is every Mother's Day in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, you could participate virtually. I did it every year for like 13 years, and then graduations happened, and then a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a chance, there's a one-mile walk, there's a 5K run, and you don't have to run the whole thing. I never have. <laughs> and there's a 10K run. And there are hundreds of people. I have goosebumps right now. Mm-hmm. And it is just one of the best ways you will spend the mm-hmm. Saturday before Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's survivors there's family members, there's, yeah. And all the money goes to uh, the Sioux Falls area. That's awesome that it stays locally. Mm -hmm. That's great. I I will uh, just to normalize, I'll maybe speak out of school, but I think even you, I don't know that you were that good at asking all the questions in the moment. Right. And so I think Mm -hmm. when you talk about writing things down, I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's Mm -hmm. really good. I remember we were having dinner before she was probably seven months pregnant and eight months pregnant. And I said, okay, Give me a flow chart of what's going to happen. Here. <laughs> like seriously, yeah. like yeah. You're talking about birth and delivery. Birth, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, yeah. I'll, it'll come back around. But give me the flow. I have no idea. I I know we will come home with a baby, but yeah. what, what between ha- now and then? Between now and then, <laughs> what happens? And yeah. then if this happens, then this will happen. But where does it branch? When do we need to make decisions? Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, I guess just for me personally, that was really helpful. So, it, and it sounds like you're kind of doing that same type of thing with these diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, but just it's, it is difficult to ask all those questions and to remember mm-hmm. everything all at, all at mm-hmm. once. So the writing it down, Fran, I think is a really good. I think it decreases anxiety too. Yeah. I mean, anytime you, you just have more information get it out of your head yeah. and just, you don't have to sit and spend, don't forget to ask this. Don't forget to ask right. this. Like mm-hmm. if you can get it out of your head and write it down, I feel like that just kind of can let it Well, go. and I think when you say, um, you didn't remember all the questions. Mm-hmm. Somebody out there can just sit back and go, okay, a medical doctor herself mm-hmm. was kind of, you know, paralyzed for half a moment or more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't come and to had these, to think on it. No. And I didn't come like, I don't want you to think that this is an easy decision for me at all. Like we thought about this for a good five or 10 years. You oh, know? gotcha. We you knew know? it would have to happen. When I met Brody, eventually. it was like, yeah. hi, yeah. Uh, just so you know, my mom died of cancer. Not really, but you yeah. know what I mean? And this is going to be something. <laughs> was that when you met with the Russian doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so looking back on everything now, how do you regret anything? How, how are, and maybe I've never asked you this, but how do you feel I think, about I think the answer decision? to that? I mean, I, so one of my good friends, Jen, I won't out her with her last name, but she actually her, had a similar family situation. And, um, she kind of said to me, and I think everyone who's had this happen to them will understand it's, it's like, you, do you want to be called? you know, periodically every year, every six months and be like, this is abnormal. Now we need to do the next step. Oh, sure. You know, is that, is that something you want to go through? You know, is that anxiety or that wondering or that scheduling or waiting for the biopsy results? Is that something you want to do? And you're going to get biopsy to death because of your history, because, 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 and, um, and I think anyone who I sympathize with anyone who has had an abnormal mammogram, you know, mm-hmm. that waiting period, that wondering, that anxiety, um, 
you know, it's just, it's terrifying and it's really stressful. Yeah. Um, and so that in the end, no, I don't want that experience. And mm-hmm. so, nor do I want it over and over from when I'm 40 to when I'm 80. Yeah. So, Although if you're out there and you're like, no, I'll go every six months, mm-hmm. then do that. Absolutely. And there's right choices for everyone. For everybody. And, if you and say, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And if you said, you know, that was my choice. Yeah. But if you said, you're, <laughs> I think Brody's mom was kind of like this. Sorry, Brody's mom. She was like, <laughs> you're going to get them cut off for that. That's mm-hmm. only 33%. You're going to mm-hmm. have major surgery for mm-hmm. that. And she mm-hmm. just looked at me like I had lobsters crawling on my ears. Maybe that's imaginary. Maybe that's imaginary. She probably was, she is a hundred percent supportive and in a way that I'm thankful for because she's like a mom that I didn't have, but, um, but she just looked at it differently. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. She's not wrong or right. And that's, that to me is critical because I think intuitively, you know, at your core, what's right for you. No one can tell you that. And I have a lot of clients tell me, you know, this person is saying I should get, get the mastectomy or get the lumpectomy Mm -hmm. instead. And I'm like, what is your gut telling you? Just silence yourself and go to your inner wisdom. What is your gut telling you and honor that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and also not on the flip side of that, when you're getting the treatment, you know, if you have to do the radiation and the chemo, you know, doctors are here to save our lives, but sometimes they're pushing and you feel intuitively like I got to stop or I need a break. You have a right as a patient to say, we need to take a hot minute here. I'm not comfortable with this. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people feel intimidated by Mm -hmm. doctors. Like I don't have the right, like they're the authority Mm -hmm. to say that this isn't sitting well with Mm me. And I really encourage people to just really be okay with being your own advocate, like Mm -hmm. you said, Mm -hmm. and speaking up if you need a break or if you have a question or something's just not right for you. Absolutely. And in the same way that the statistics don't apply to everyone, um, I think that the there's no right or wrong answer with a lot of medical stuff. You know, like medical stuff, my job is to educate you and to tell you your options, and then you have to make your choices. And there's not a wrong and a right. There's just what you're choosing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, with school and stuff, people think like there's a right answer and the doctor is saying that this is the right thing to do. And it's like, nah, that's not the case. I mean, you get a say in what you want. Right. And that is, that's valid. And I think if your intuition is saying that, then use that as a guide for a conversation with your doctor. I feel like I need a break from treatment. Mm-hmm. Can we discuss the pros and cons of what that could look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've met many women who are like kind of older maybe. And they're just like, you know what? I'm not interested in that. I'm not yeah. interested in treatment. I'm, I'm living a great life. The odds that this is going to kill me is low. I'm going to do this. And it's like, great. Good for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's you who has to live with your decisions, not right. me, you know, like, and whatever decision is right for you is what, what you got to do. And I'm also getting, I, I like the fact that doctors, like if you have a client or a patient and you're like, this person I know is not dealing with this to be able to refer and partner with mental health providers work yes. collaboratively because you're going to see that sooner than maybe other people. Mm-hmm. They're the most vulnerable when they're getting that diagnosis. They're in that room with you. And I'm sure you get a sense over time, like this person is just going to really struggle with this. Yeah. And that's so hard. And I wish that there was more collaboration, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a shortage of mental health professionals in this town and nationwide. Um, but also like there's a um, stigma, but also, mm-hmm. you know, not as many people has, have the support system that, that we may enjoy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, I would always hope for collaboration that way. Yeah. More so even. And that's why we're doing this. We want to end the stigma. We want to get people talking about mental health and reaching out for mental health. Mm-hmm. We're blessed. I mean, I think most of the physicians in this community do collaborate with us and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So in our little neck of the woods, we're kind of lucky, but mm-hmm. I know not everybody everywhere is like that or can be like that. And if you don't have support, there are breast cancer support groups that are available. There are some online. I don't know. Do we have one like locally right now with COVID? It shut down so many support groups. Yeah. I can't tell you off the top of my head if we do or not. Yeah. But that would be worth looking into because I mean, obviously no one understands this like someone else who's going through it with you. Reach out to your local hospitals, clinics, or churches Mm -hmm. is what I would recommend to see if there's a support group happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, you guys, we are the shrinks. And that's a wrap.